0: that can be called a text. It has to be in the first and second and in the last verses. And it has to be these words in which the writer said he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted of Satan. And then concluding with these words when the devil had finished all this tempting he left him until an opportune time. Now to me, the temptation experience of Jesus is the most perfect illustration of our humanity and of our human nature in of his life and of his ministry. There is something about the temptation experience of Jesus that joins us together in a way in which nothing else Jesus ever did or nothing else Jesus ever said is able to do. For in the temptation experience of Jesus we see ourselves and the realities of life with which we are faced almost constantly within the human experience. Let me illustrate it with two or three stories. Last Sunday afternoon I was sitting around, sort of bored I suppose because I didn't have anything that I really wanted to do. And in my boredom I decided to see if there's anything worth watching on television. I picked up the uh, little switch that turns it on and off and watched the uh, turned it on, and there wasn 't anything on that particular channel I wanted to see, so I began to switch channels from one to another, thinking that maybe out of all the things that were coming in there 'd be something worthwhile. Nothing seemed to grasp my attention, and I went back again up one uh, one channel after another, looking for something to see finally. I landed on ESPN, the sports channel, and uh, to my amazement, they were going through the draft for the National Football League. Well, I wasn't particularly concerned about the National Football League draft, but I decided I would stop long enough to see if any of the local talent was being taken in the early rounds of the draft. And I turned and started to watch and it just so happened that there was a lull in the draft and nobody was being taken, nothing was being done. But all of a sudden, I saw one of the most remarkable interviews I think that I've ever seen. If you watched the channel last Sunday and watched the draft, you saw the interview. The announcers were carrying on an interview with a young man by the name of Casey Henning as best I remember, and I'm not even sure that that was his name. But the announcement that was, uh, the interview was focusing around the most outstanding defensive lineman in college football in 1987. He was the recipient of the Outland Trophy designating him as the best there was. As a result of the trophy and as a result of his talent and the way he had played, it was a certainty that he would go high in the draft because of his high rank, he would be given a lucrative contract to play professional football as long as he was able to play. However, the story evolved around the fact that he happened to be a graduate or graduating from the Air Force Academy. And as such, he had an obligation of four years to the United States Air Force which meant that he could not be drafted and could not receive the lucrative offer that inevitably would have come his way. But more than that, he had uh, been uh, applied for and been accepted in the pilot's training program because from the earlier years of his life, he said, his goal had been to be a fighter pilot. And, uh, and going through the training He had an additional four years to serve in the Air Force, which meant eight years of his life, the young years of his life, would be spent in the Air Force. And in all probability, he never will be able to play professional football, certainly not for many years, and uh, as a result never will enjoy uh, the millions of dollars that otherwise he would have made playing professional football. Well, those announcers, if you happened to see it, couldn't understand uh, how a young man with talent such as his could bypass the opportunity to make this kind of money. And so they asked him for an explanation. And as best I recall, he said something like this. To be a fighter pilot was his goal had been his goal for a number of years. I think he said something to the effect, First of all, I am an officer in the Air Force. Secondly, I will be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And in the third place, I might would like to play professional football. But he said the money professional football would bring just simply didn't matter when taken in the light of the goal to which he had set himself, and the dream that he'd held through all the years of his life. Well, a few days later, I was reading a devotion. And the morning devotion contained these words. The writer said, God wants you to be successful according to your own ability. But then he said, Many people, are living far beneath their ability. Now, the temptation experience of Jesus has been used in many different ways, and the message of the temptation experience has been interpreted in many different ways by those who have shared, either in the preaching or in the reading of the temptation experience. But to me, the essence of the message of the temptation of Jesus is simply seen in the idea that he had to make a choice between what God had called him to be and simply doing a job that he had decided to do. Now in case you really don't understand what I'm saying, let me repeat it again. The essence of the message of temptation to Jesus was to make a decision to be what God had called him to be and fulfill the mission that God had sent him to fulfill or simply do a job that he had decided needed to be done as a result of the inclinations he felt within his own mind and within his own soul. Now there's nothing wrong in doing what you feel needs to be done. There's nothing wrong in simply taking a job that needs to be done and doing it as a job that needs to be done. However, it is second best when compared to the idea that God has planted within the mind and heart of the human race, individuals in particular, certain ideals and ideals and dreams and goals and equipped us with ambition and called us to certain areas of service that are open only to those that are called and done only by those that are willing to accept. Now look at the way in which this temptation expresses itself. First of all, it expresses itself in the idea uh, that so often we are tempted to let feelings be an end within themselves. By that I simply mean that quite often we are victims of a philosophy that says, if it feels good, do it. You know, as long as we can feel good about ourselves and about our situation, this is all we think is necessary in order to fulfill our responsibility and our obligations And live the kind of life we have been called to live. However, there is in reality a great deal more to life than simply feeling good about the job that we're doing. Or about the life that we live. Or about the situation with which we're faced. Let me illustrate it in this way. I read a story just just recently of a, a fellow who had a bishop in the Methodist church who had visited post-war Germany on one occasion. And as he was making his way following the guide, he came in contact with a young bus driver. And uh, knowing that he was at that time a minister in the Methodist Church, uh, they naturally began to talk about the church and about his relationship to the church. The young man said he attended the cathedral quite regularly. And then he said, it makes me feel good, but it doesn't have anything at all to do with my morals." Now Jesus knew that the temptation with which he was faced was simply to satisfy the hunger, to feel good, as a result of having eaten the bread that he could have got. Nothing in the world wrong. Uh, with feeling good about ourselves until we stop to realize that there is a great deal more to life than simply to feel good at the moment as a result of the decisions that we've made. And then again the temptation expresses itself In the fact that security quite often becomes our main desire or the main goal of our life. Had Jesus followed the request of Satan to jump off the temple, there is no doubt in my mind that he would have enjoyed the acclaim of the multitudes of people. They would have looked at him with great awe and admiration and said, This is the kind of man we'd like to follow. However, Jesus realized that God had planted within his mind and within his heart something more than simply a need for a claim. There's more to life than the security that we may experience in following the direction That so often we face. Now everybody wants a sense of security. We want financial security. We want social security. We want security within our job. We want security within every area of life with which we are faced. And yet quite often. The most meaningful aspects of life. Are found not as a result of those things that bring security. But the most meaningful aspects of life oftentimes come as a result of a feeling of turbulence and turmoil and disturbance that comes as a result of some of the decisions we have to make or some of the choices with which we're faced. There are times in every individual's life When if we would know those things that are meaningful and those things that are most lasting, maybe I should say the things that are lasting and the things that are most meaningful, then we are going to take a chance and run a risk that oftentimes doesn't pan out in the way in which we feel. It ought to. Jesus could have. Gained security for a lifetime. Had he only followed the leadership of Satan. For Satan said to him. This this world is mine. I'm in charge. and, And I have dominion over everything. And I can give you what you want. But Jesus would have been obligated to him as long as he lived. And you can rest assured that quite often these obligations come at the time in which we are least ready to make the payment of our time or our talent or our And yet, so often we are faced with the temptation to make security the number one goal in life When in reality, the number one goal is to lay down our self and ambitions and sacrifice the self at the expense of those things that are lasting and those things that are meaningful. And then again, the temptation expresses itself in our relationship to power. And this may be the greatest struggle we face within the experience of our own life. Because for every one of us, there is a struggle for power over those with whom we live. I don't care how insignificant an individual's life may seem, there are those over whom we control some power. It happens in marriages. It happens in homes. It happens in jobs. It happens in the church. Everywhere we go there, uh, there is the temptation to misuse the power. That has been entrusted to us. In our relationships to those with whom we live. Let me tell you a little story. I thought it was rather cute. The fella fellow went into a bar a little bit more inebriated than he ought to have been. And he walked in and in his inebriated condition ordered a drink. And while the bartender was preparing the drink, he turned around to the rest of the patrons of the bar and said, I can whip anybody in this bar. Nobody said a word. He mustered up a little bit more height and shouted a little bit higher than he would spoken before. He said, I can whip anybody in this city. Nobody said a word. He felt a little bit stronger and he said again in a little louder voice, I can whip anybody in the state. Nobody said a word. Finally, he reached the full stature and as loud as he could holler, he said, I can whip anybody in the universe. And about that time, somebody walked up and doubled up his fist and popped him under the chin, and he fell back and was knocked out for a short while. And when he came to, he looked around and he said, Well, it may be, I guess I took in too much territory. (laughs) So often, we are tempted to misuse the power with which we are entrusted. The power of God that has been invested in us to deal with individuals, to deal with society, to make a home. The power that has been entrusted to us is to use the power of God at our disposal in the way in which the power ought to be used. Here again, Satan said to Jesus you know you have power to jump from the top of the temple at Jerusalem and land safely on the ground and people everywhere will see that which you possess and will follow you and you know he could have used that power avoided the cross missed many of the pitfalls with which he is faced, life would have been altogether different had he used the power to his advantage. But Jesus realized that the power of God which was invested in His life and the ministry to which He had been in call, to which He had been called was a special kind of power that came only through a total commitment of himself to the cause of God and the message of reconciliation. As I say, this is one of the great struggles and perhaps the greatest struggle with which we are faced to misuse the power and thereby become second best to what we could otherwise become. Were we in accordance with God's will and God's way and using God's power in the way in which God intended for it to be used? The struggles of human nature are incorporated in the temptation experience of Jesus When it's so easy for us to feel good, it's so easy for us to exercise some sense of security and take the power and use it to our advantage without ever stopping to realize that God has something more in store for our life and for our talent. And for our abilities. The writer said Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he was tempted and so are we. And when Satan realized that his temptations no longer were valid, he let him go until a more opportune time should arrive. It's always there. But strangely enough, the power of God is always at our disposal. And in the face of temptation, we can still be what God has called us to be and live as God has chosen our life to be lived. Help us, our Heavenly Father, as we struggle from time to time never to lose sight Of the goals and dreams that you have planted within our soul. And through your guidance and your direction. Enable us to be what you want us to be. Doing what you want us to do. Enjoying life in the way in which life was meant to be enjoyed. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.